When you look back on a specific year in your life, what are the things you use to help distinguish that year among the many others you've lived? Let's look at 2010, for example, 10 years ago. Maybe you look at the movies that came out that year. In 2010, Christopher Nolan was already melding our minds with dreams within dreams with his film Inception. And David Fincher was telling the story of the rise of Facebook in The Social Network, inspiring college freshmen everywhere to take up computer science. Speaking of Facebook, the advent of new technology can also help us tell what year was what in our history. Mark Zuckerberg was named Times Person of the Year as Facebook was only halfway to a billion users in 2010. 2010 also saw the release of Apple's iPad, the launch of Instagram, and the IPO of Tesla Motors. The electric car company Tesla is planning its next moves after an IPO that raised $226 million, about a quarter more than expected. Maybe you look at world events to mark time. 2010 was a little bit removed from the start of the Great Recession, though we still were definitely feeling the economic effects of that. Obama was still in his first term as president. We've had disasters like the Deep Horizon oil spill and the Haiti earthquake, but also miracles like the rescue of the Chilean miners who were trapped underground for so long. On our broadcast tonight, one by one, the miners trapped for two months are brought to freedom in a rescue mission the whole world is watching. Maybe you look at less serious things and look at more fun stuff, such as the memes or viral videos that were popular that year. In 2010, YouTube was not even five years old at that point, but we already had classics such as Double Rainbow Guy. Double Rainbow, oh my god. It's a double rainbow all the way. And 2010 was also the year that the old Spice Guy made his debut. Hello, ladies. Look at your man. Now back to me. Now back at your man. Now back to me. It's also helpful to look at what's changed between the present and the past to try to mark the difference of time. For example, we still used to rent movies from Blockbuster rather than use Netflix in 2010. And TikTok wasn't a major social media app, but instead it was the number one song on the Billboard charts at the time. Of course, you probably mark years by the things that happened to you personally. For me, 2010 will always be the year that I had the privilege to graduate from high school alongside some of the smartest, most creative, talented, and driven individuals I've been lucky to know. I'm talking about the Sandon College Preparatory Class of 2010 of Jacksonville, Florida, the number three ranked public high school in the country at the time. As with most high school classes, there were definitely plans to have a 10-year reunion in 2020. Unlike most high school classes, though, we kind of are dealing with a little something known as the coronavirus. So plans for any in-person meetup to see how everyone's been doing have temporarily been put on hold. But as I saw somebody say on Facebook, we'll just be the first class in history to have an 11-year reunion. Truly, we are the revolutionaries of our time. That said, I can't say I had the patience to wait a year to see what everyone's been up to. So I decided to call up my classmates and share their stories about all of the amazing things they've accomplished. Some have become doctors and lawyers. Some joined the military or a religious order. Some became artists and some have even won Golden Globes. Some traveled the world. Some have sought to make a difference in dear old Duval County. Some got married and started families. 
Some have given TED Talks, and we have literal rocket scientists among our classmates. And so many more have done things that no one would have expected 10 years ago, like becoming a podcast host. But regardless of the paths we've taken, one thing about the SCP class of 2010 remains the same. Just like we used to cheer a decade ago as we won pep rally after pep rally and made lasting change in our community, we run this. Hello and welcome to the We Run This podcast, a show celebrating the stories of the Stanton College Prep Class of 2010 and how we continue to kill it 10 years on. I'm Paul Bautista. As I just said in the intro, this is Paul Bautista of the class of 2010. For those of my classmates who may or may not remember who I was, I think I was most well-known in school for being the weirdo at lunch who would solve Rubik's Cubes while standing on his head. Honestly, I'm not really sure why I did that, but hey, it was just part of who I was. In any case, I've thought for a long time while making this podcast about what it means when we say we run this. Obviously, we refers to our class, but what does running something mean? What is this? Was running this related to the many things we as a class accomplished, both as a group or as individuals? Or was running this more an attitude than actually getting things done? Was running things limited to our time in high school, or have we just gone on to run things afterwards? What made our class stand out from all of the others who came before or after? As someone who had younger siblings who also went to Stanton, I can tell you that from my admittedly biased point of view, no class has had as much spirit or energy as ours. I thought that perhaps in order to better understand what we mean when we say we run this, I should try to understand why your class was so engaged and spirited. And who better to turn to than the one in the yearbook voted as most school spirit? Okay, so I definitely have to mention the caveat here that I'm pretty sure Shane should have won that if if not did. Uh, I might have been runner up. Fair enough. In any case, I caught up with Corey Harb to try to crack this puzzle of what we run this means. My name's Corey Harb. I am a product manager at a software company called Optum that optimizes everything. I'm currently living in Neptune Beach, Florida, so basically Jacksonville. I don't know. I really had a great time at Stanton. I think that's what got me excited about it. I mean, there was a sense of community there. Obviously, a lot of my friends uh, were there, loved watching the football games. If you get excited about more things, you're generally happier about them. So that's probably why I got, got into a lot of the spirit. But mostly, I think, a sense of community. And of course, the community is made up of its awesome individuals, even weird kids who solve Rubik's Cubes on their head. Uh, everyone everyone was weird at Stanton in different ways, so it's like, I mean, that, that's what was cool about it, I think. And who better to see all of that weirdness in their class than our yearbook photographer, Lindsay Ott. So I'm Lindsay Ott. Um, I'm living in Jacksonville, Florida. Uh, I work at the state attorney's office in the Fourth Judicial Circuit. I was yearbook photographer for two years, so I was known probably pretty well as the girl with the camera. And class of 2010, we run, we, we run this to this yeah. day. We are the best class. We just have so many vibrant personalities and interests and such a diverse group of talented people that are 
to this day, doing different things, living in such vastly different places. And I just loved how unique everybody was, but also how outgoing, how much character our class had. Sometimes that character would come out in more troublesome ways, especially in the classroom. Mrs. Heron's Spanish class, I think sophomore year. There were just too many uh, troublemakers, I guess would be the best way to describe it. Alex Johnson was there. Andrew Heaney was there. Omar Kamal. Taylor Hill was there. Taylor Smith was there. I mean, there were, there were a lot of people in there. I'm sure you remember to how crazy things got in that class. Like they switched out the DVD, the Spanish DVD one time for the the Borat DVD, which started playing in the middle of class. We would uh, mirror her desk and and flip all the belongings on it to the opposite side to see if she noticed. And Or one day she came up to us and said, like, I know what you're planning. Uh, you better not do it. You'll get in trouble. And we had no idea what she was talking about. So at lunch, we went in there with a measuring stick and started like marking stuff up as if we were planning something. Nowadays, Corey is a little bit more apologetic about the kind of kid he was in Spanish class, but his fun-seeking mindset was just part of who he was back then. I was not as uh, empathetic or, or kind in some cases as I, as I now hope I would have been. But overall, uh, I mean, I liked hanging out with my friends and turning normal situations into, into fun situations, I think, was what, how, what I like to do. And if Corey and his friends were turning normal situations into fun situations, what happened when we had a fun situation to start out with? A great example of this would have been at our football games. We may not have been state champs, but we still knew how to have a great time. Shane was, of course, like the, the crazy guy for football games and stuff like that, always painted up, cheering and dancing to the band's music, like all the different cheers we would do with the cheerleaders, like SCP is really hot. That was always fun. And yeah, we used to do that. We, we would do that in college at parties sometimes. Like SCP is really hot. SCP is really hot because we got the stuff that they don't got. We got the stuff they don't got. Yo, yo, oh, yo, oh, oh. And then you go, oosh, ash, oosh, ash. Yeah, that was always that was always a favorite one. And then the band, like the band's music was always amazing. Uh, all the all the songs they did and the dances we had to them. And I mean, like the ice cold Michelob fried chicken, fish and grits. We keep it tight, something like that. All the, all the random cheers and stuff like that. It was it made football games a lot of fun. And like our freshman year, our freshman year, we beat Paxson with I think like a blocked extra point or something like that. Uh, and I think we like rushed the field and everything. That was such a crazy, crazy cool football game. And of course, you definitely couldn't forget about the pep rallies. For sure, the the pep rallies and the and the decibel meter measurements of how loud we could get and, and all the different tricks we'd pull as people walked into the the gym and stuff like that. Uh, that was always. Really cool to see the kind of organization coordination that a lot of people put forth for that. So in terms of that kind of spirit, for sure, um, you saw it there. After graduating, Corey and Lindsay went on to different colleges, as many of our classmates did. Uh, in their case, they went to rival state schools. So I attended Florida State in uh, Tallahassee. And I am fortunate because of Stanton. I you know, came in with enough credits that I was able to do a dual degree program um, in international affairs and political science. So I went to UF, uh, go Gators, studied industrial engineering. 
While college is a time to find yourself and meet new people, the fact that a lot of our class went to FSU and to UF definitely helped both of them with their transition to college, and it allowed them to deepen the bond they had with other Stanton alumni and their classmates. Freshman year, you know, I, I didn't know many people joining FSU, and it's a large school, large campus. So, of course, you know, the comfort level is to stick with what you know and who you know. So I did. I hung out with a lot of um, Stanton friends freshman year. Um, I actually, <laughs> Crystal uh, Welch at the time, now Crystal Hill, and I became best friends at FSU. And even though we went to Stanton together and were friends in high school, we became absolute best friends in college. So that was really fun. And I'm, I'm glad we connected. Uh, I actually lived with Stanton people for the next like seven or eight years after after graduating high school. So I lived with Mark Michelucci and Alex Johnson first. We rotated in Chase McCall. Scott Carr came by all the time. Several other people would hang out with us. I always had a big Stanton group at, at college. It was, yeah, I mean, it was really, I mean, I thought, it, I think it's really great. Uh, I got to you know, build on a lot of, of friendships that were already there. And then you also become a lot closer with people that like, there were a lot of people that I didn't hang out with a ton in high school that I ended up hanging with a lot more afterwards. So having kind of a common um, background and, and common experiences to, to think back on is always, I think it's always pretty cool, but we weren't so close knit that it was difficult for other people to become friends with us. We had a lot of mutual, new mutual friends at UF that we gained. It's funny that you're interviewing me because my friends at UF always made fun of me for being like an Uncle Rico from Napoleon Dynamite that I would always talk about how great high school was and, and how great Stanton was. They always talk about how I'm glorifying the past and reminiscing. So it's really funny that I'm doing this right now. They're going to make fun of me, I'm sure. The point being, a lot of non-Stanton people at UF that hung out with us knew all about Stanton and didn't hear the end of it. In any case, while both of them eventually found their way back to the Jacksonville area, they did so through very different careers. Let's look at them one at a time. For Lindsay, she had initially planned to go to law school, but ended up falling into the state legislative system, partially due to her proximity to Tallahassee. The plan in my mind was for me to go to law school and study international law and move somewhere international. You want to hear God laugh, tell him your plan. So didn't end up going to law school, um, worked at several law firms, but um, I also got involved in the legislative process in Tallahassee. After a summer interning at the State Department in D.C., she made her way back to the Sunshine State because, well, as she puts it. It was a bigger city, I think, that I really wanted um, being from Jacksonville. It was it was really fun, but I don't know that I'm a big city girl. Okay. Um, also, it gets cold in the winter, and I'm not about the cold. So <laughs> long term, it was just not a good fit for me. Now, if you're like me, and if you're listening to this, you probably are. Uh, you've probably seen a schoolhouse walk growing up, and remember that song about how a bill becomes a law. I'm just a bill. Yes, I'm only a bill. And I'm sitting here on Capitol Hill. Well, it's... Uh... But I wanted to ask Lindsay, who has experience from so many different angles in the state legislative process, from working in the state senator's office, to the governor's office, to the Florida Department of Health, to even working as a private lobbyist, you know, what is the inner political machine of Florida like? The legislative process is very confusing. It's very cumbersome. There's a lot of steps and a lot of, 
you know, a lot of politics involved. And so you've got legislators who are there to represent the citizens um, in their district. And you've got all of these interests from all over the state of Florida who are coming into the office and saying, hey, I've got this really great project. Will you please support our funding? Will you please support our project? Or you've got people coming in and saying, hey, this statute needs to be changed and here's what we want to change it to and here's why. Will you please support this legislative change? And um, it was absolutely fascinating. It gave me a really good introductory education in some of the issues that are facing Florida more broadly. I got to meet people from all over the state. I learned a lot. I mean, we're talking the citrus industry to conservation to transportation. Now, obviously, there's a lot going in the world right now that many of us want to see changed, some of it through the legislative process. Given Lindsay has this inside experience, I asked her advice on what would be the best ways that we as average everyday citizens could do to affect this change, uh, especially for those based in Florida. Get involved with an organization that does advocate in Tallahassee. There are tons and tons of organizations that make trips to Tallahassee every year during the legislative process or sessions. And I would say absolutely get involved, you know, get on the board of an organization. Another one is to go yourself. I mean, get involved with an organization or on your own and go talk to your legislators and request meetings. Go over to Tallahassee. It's absolutely speak in front of a committee if it's something that, you know, you feel strongly about. It is, I have learned so much about this state by listening to concerned involved Floridians who go and speak in committee. It's, it's really amazing. I would say the vast majority of our elected officials in Florida very much care about the emails and the letters and the phone calls that they get from their constituents. I have not met a single one that didn't take the time to meet with constituents and hear them out. Um, and hear their concerns. So contact your representatives, um, meet with them in the district, go over and meet with them during session. They're both great, great, great ways. Vote. (laughs) In any case, after some time in Tallahassee, Lindsay came back to the 904. I'll be honest, like I just felt called to come back to Jacksonville. I you know, would come home and visit, and every time I was here, it just got harder and harder to leave. So I really, I felt like I needed to be in Jacksonville. I also really missed the water. Tallahassee, you kind of drive like an hour before you get to water. So I love that about Jacksonville. And, and ultimately, you know, being in politics, in the legislative process, it's, it can be draining. So I don't know that that's necessarily what I saw myself doing for the rest of my life. <laughs> What Lindsay did end up doing was getting involved in the district attorney's office. So I am the community engagement coordinator for the Fourth Judicial Circuit um, State Attorney's Office. And the Fourth Judicial Circuit encompasses Clay, Duval, and Nassau counties. In the traditional district attorney's role, you have prosecutors filing cases on behalf of the state trying to get criminals convicted of their crimes and thrown in jail. Pretty standard stuff that you may have seen on TV. That being said, Lindsay's role is a little bit more evolved from that. In this community prosecution model, prosecutors kind of get outside of that traditional role and engage more as problem solvers in the community, working directly in neighborhoods, um, developing relationships, 
and focusing more on like public safety concerns. So it's, it's a little bit more of a solutions oriented role. And it's in addition to traditional prosecution, don't get me wrong. If you think about it like being a doctor, you know, your doctor can obviously treat whatever symptoms you have if you come in sick, such as you have a heart attack, the doctor will treat you, maybe using a defibrillator, but they also take preventative steps before that ever happens to try to prevent it so you don't actually have a problem. For example, you know, in order to prevent a heart attack, the doctor may prescribe a healthy diet, no smoking, and regular exercise. A gentleman named Tom Apt, he wrote a book called Bleeding Out, and he proposes that criminal justice should view crime and specifically violent crime as a public health issue. Some of the biggest successes that Lindsay's office has completed have been related to juvenile crime in the Duval County area. Instead of using the criminal justice system to deal with juvenile charges, the DA office used a different process known as diversion to both ease the burden on the criminal justice system while also not ruining a kid's life for relatively minor infractions. This can take the form of using more civil citations instead of arrests with juvenile offenders so it doesn't go on their record permanently. Also, they can rely on community partners to run that diversion process to help these kids out. Previously, juvenile diversion was being run by our office, by the state attorney's office. There's a number of reasons why it doesn't make the most sense for mm -hmm. that to be happening that way. One of which, we're a law enforcement agency. Like, there are lots of services that we just, we don't have the resources to provide for them. And so we are actually in the process of turning over diversion to the Kids Hope Alliance here in Jacksonville. We increased our use of civil citations beginning in 2017. And it's actually like, you can Google it. It's been wildly successful in our county and other jurisdictions have modeled their programs after it. That's one of those smart justice things that it's, you know, it's, it's common sense. Now, moving on to our gator, Corey is currently working as a product manager at a software company. Now, for those of you not in the tech industry, what exactly is a product manager? At a high level, product manager is essentially just finding problems to solve for people and then creating products that solve them uh, in order to add value for the, the, the person and, and hopefully create a successful business. So. Generally, I'm doing that in the software industry, really facing the trucking industry right now. Now, for those of you not aware, the trucking industry is literally the lifeblood of this country. For example, in this past pandemic, truckers were likely the ones delivering the toilet paper and the food and the work from home setups that we needed as we sheltered in place. Nationwide, it's the most common job in 29 states, with 3.5 million jobs across the country and many more relying on the trucking industry such as pit stops and restaurants on the highways, and overall it's a $700 billion industry. In Florida, 1 out of 20 jobs are in the trucking industry. Since we have a pretty prominent port on the East Coast and we also are at the intersection of I-10 and I-95, Jacksonville is a pretty significant transportation hub, as anyone who's tried to take the highways to school in the mornings can attest to. With the growth of self-driving cars and autonomous driving, in a time when we were relying on trucking more than ever, Corey is working to make this industry run better than it ever has before. Yeah, so the, the trucking industry, I think, has a lot of legacy uses of, of technology, and, and they're not quite up to date with all the latest tech and trends and things like that. And there's a lot of disruptive technology coming in that are enabling them to, to be a lot better. And like you're like you were talking about uh, autonomous driving and stuff like that. 
solve some problems and create a lot of problems for them too. So they're definitely, in many cases, they're like the kind of the veins of the country moving everything around. So they, they just have a lot of, of challenges to face. They're starting to adopt a lot of technology now. There's still a lot of opportunity there uh, for them to improve. So I, it's a really exciting time for them, honestly. There's a lot of challenges they're already facing, but there's a lot of new ones coming with that technology, especially self-driving cars. In some ways, Lindsay and Corey's stories are very different from each other. One works in law, the other works in technology. But both also have a common thread between them, zooming out for a moment, that I found in many, if not all of the interviews with my, our other classmates I have talked to for this podcast. While they may have taken different paths to get there, both of them are working to solve problems in their respective fields and trying to make the world around them a little bit better to the best of their ability. They take a sense of ownership in their own corner of the world. To answer the questions I had asked at the start of this episode, I think it's that mentality that sets our class apart from any others. We threw and continue to throw ourselves into whatever it was we were passionate about with everything we had to offer, and we just tried to leave a positive impact wherever we went, be it as individuals or as a group. I think that's what running things means. After all, if you run things, it's your responsibility to take care of it, isn't it? I think that the this in We Run This refers to anything and everything that we care about. We cared about our time in Stanton and tried to make it the best we could. And so we ran things. And now in this quote-unquote real world, we may care about different things now, but we still continue to run things because we care and we want to make it better. When I asked Corey how about how he's changed over the last 10 years, he's definitely taken all that problem-solver attitude I just described. I'd like to think that I'm a little smarter and a little wiser. Definitely more hokey or cliche in terms of what I think younger people can do when I go speak at, at UF student organizations and stuff like that. I, I, it's almost like you can be anything you want or you can be anything you set your mind to, which is just stuff I would have rolled my eyes at in high school and, and college, uh, which is why I tell them that. But it's more like, People write off a lot of things as, as the way things are or how it has to be and don't think about solving those big problems because no one else has solved them before, right? So I try to tell people that that's the reason problems aren't solved is that no one's trying to, to solve them in a lot of cases or putting their mind to it. So if people write off a bunch of problems, then they're going to remain problems. So I try, to, I try to inspire people, not inspire people, I try to at least tell them like, you know, don't don't write things off and kind of believe that you can make that kind of impact. As one example of trying to solve problems, outside of work, Lindsay has been involved in the San Marco Preservation Society. She actually recently served as president of the board of directors to better her community that she grew up in. So the mission of the San Marco Preservation Society is um, to preserve and protect and maintain and improve the San Marco neighborhood. And so that's everything from beautification and landscaping and streets and streetscapes to placemaking and urban planning and your kind of zoning and ordinance issues and everything in between. For anyone looking for secret haunts in San Marco to hang out in, she's got you. Love all of the bars and restaurants. I'm gonna say I never get tired of them. We have Mayday is the handcrafted like artisan ice cream shop. We have Ardwolf Brewery. They are the love of my life. Sidecar and Grape and Grain are really delicious bars. I would say my underrated secret haunts, though, are European Street. 
I live across the street from them. So I get their cookies are massive and they're so delicious. Um, I love European Street. And then also um, there's a beer shop on San Marco Boulevard called Beer Street. Actually, the owner is a Stanton grad, um, Kevin Burns. He and his dad opened a beer shop. They have every kind of beer you could imagine. If they don't have it, they'll get it for you. And they have just a really fun space with a lot of games. Um, they've got great rotating local taps. So it's it's probably my favorite. Since Lindsay is part of our reunion committee, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing what Spacey picks out for our eventual in-person reunion. As far as what the next few years hold for them, as well as any last thoughts they might have, Lindsay and Corey both are pretty flexible with what comes next, as well as very thankful for what Stanton has brought them. You know, I kind of gave up planning my life. After I graduated college, I realized all of the plans I've ever made, not only did they mostly not happen, but they were replaced with even bigger and better things than I ever could have imagined. I feel like it's right for me to stay in Jacksonville. I feel very strongly, very passionate about the city. So that's pretty much the only known quantity I've got. Um, I would like to purchase a house in the next few years. Beyond that, you know, I, I absolutely love my job. I, uh, Melissa Nelson just got reelected for another four years. So I would love to stay here as long as I am useful to her and to the office. But beyond that, you know, I'm, I'm just ready for whatever life's got for me. I feel even more of a strong connection with Stanton. Of course, I'm forever grateful for the education and the intellectual lessons that it's taught me, but also, you know, the cultural and, and the life lessons as well. I've never been one of the people to, to have a, a long-term plan and, and uh, have long-term goals. I've always taken the greedy algorithm approach of, of choosing the best decision in front of me and going with the flow. Hopefully I am still happy. I plan to get married this year, or sorry, the beginning of next year. So I hopefully I'm married uh, at that time. Um, yeah, hopefully just happy and and making my sphere a better place. If, if any teachers listen, obviously shout out to those teachers. They're doing very difficult work. Shout out to the teachers who have very hard lives uh, because of students probably like me and, and definitely some of my classmates. Keep fighting the good fight, even though it gets harder as teachers. I would say, I guess the people working in healthcare, especially through these last few months, Shout out to those people. Keep your head up with that. Lastly, the people exercising their rights and uh, fighting for our country against injustice. Definitely shout out to those people um, making the world better. Lindsay, Corey, whatever plans may come your way, I know you're going to run this. Special thanks to Lindsay and Corey for sharing their stories with me. Both of them also shared some great leads on other classmates who have been doing amazing things since graduation, who you'll hear about in upcoming episodes of this podcast. That said, if you are a member of the Stanton class of 2010, who I haven't been able to interview, you've still got a chance to share your story on the podcast. Simply record a message using the voice memo app on your phone about one to two minutes or so with your name, where you're located, and what the heck you've been up to for the last 10 years that you'd like to share, as well as any messages you want to give to the Stanton class of 2010. I'll be including them in an episode later on this season. You can send them to me on Facebook or email me at ninjaboymedia at gmail.com. That's N-I-N-J-A-B-O-I-M-E-D-I-A at gmail.com. 
Other thanks to Andrew Hanna for his class leadership and helping advise on this project early on, and to Janaki Pereira for giving editorial feedback on this episode. The opening and closing music was provided by our very own Michael Xavier Barriwan of the Standing Class of 2010, aka Namekian Silk. Check his stuff out at SoundCloud. Other music is provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Editing and production is provided by Ninja Boy Media. Also, a quick note the views and opinions expressed on this show reflect the personal thoughts of those involved alone and do not reflect those of any other organizations or groups. Next time, we'll be taking a look at the people at Stanton who helped make our high school experience what it was our teachers. We'll talk to some of our classmates who have gone on to actually become teachers themselves about what it's like to be an educator, including one who ended up going back to Stanton as a teacher. Until then, I'm Paul Bautista. And remember, we run this. Yeah, we run this. <laughs>